let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 is on page 1001 uh, in your church Bibles, which uh, falls in sort of an odd spot where you have Philemon on the left, which doesn't have a page number, and Hebrews chapter 1 is on the right, which also doesn't have the page number listed, but if you get to the thousands, uh, you're getting close. Page 1001. Uh, Hebrews, as we we said last week, is a, a letter written by, we're not sure who, it was uh, either an apostle or someone uh, very closely uh, associated uh, with an apostle, uh, and it was written at a, at a time, we suspect, in around uh, the 60s AD, uh, the, the church in, in uh, Rome is, is very, very small, it, it's made mostly up, up of, of uh, Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, uh, and when the gospel first came to, to Rome, to that part of the world, uh, it created such a stir that, uh, especially amongst the Jewish community, that uh, the emperor uh, kind of drove the Jews out of, out of the city of Rome. Uh, and then, so you've, you've got Jewish Christians who've been uh, driven out of, of uh, the city, uh, but they've also been driven out of the synagogues and ostracized uh, by uh, the Jews themselves for the things they believe. Uh, they've, they've, so they've been through already a, a great deal uh, in a sense of persecution in itself, uh, and yet they're also on the cusp of, of a, a further persecution. Uh, it's likely that, that uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of some of the, the, the truths that they're uh, now called to believe in, that they may uh, suffer and, and perhaps even die for those truths. And so this is who the, the writer of Hebrews uh, is, is writing this letter to. Uh, And we'll continue tonight from uh, verse 5, but I'll go back and begin with reading verse 1, and we'll read all the way through the chapter, verse verse 14. Our focus will be on verses 5 through 14 this evening. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and this is God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
the word of our God stands forevermore. I wonder what are the things that you think are worth worth arguing about? Some arguments are, are fun, aren't they? Like who's who's the best footballer in the world? There's there's really no way of, of to settle that one, at least no objective uh, measure for it. So it always turns into a debate, doesn't it? Uh, usually over a, a pint or two. And you, you don't finish the argument. You never get to a conclusion until you either agree to disagree or you uh, end up saying something or one of you ends up saying something like, fine, we'll go with whatever you say. You know, some arguments are, are just annoying. Like what... What, like, like when a, a color on the wall is, say, blue, and someone says, no, it's, it's more of a grayish aqua. You know, right, that's fine. It's not worth it really arguing about, is it? The thing is, when it comes to, to rather serious matters, matters of, of faith, matters of, of life and death, uh, the, argument, the, the argument actually is, is, is important, isn't it? It matters. And the more one argues, and, and, and often the, the one, uh, in the vehemency with which they make their arguments, and the, the way they treat those that they argue against, will often cause uh, other people to, to either uh, dig in or, or give in. And the, the church in, in outside of Rome, this, this group of Jewish Christians, were very close to the, to the give-in side of a, of a certain argument. The, the argument of who is and, and what is the nature of Christ Jesus. This is what's happening with the, the Jewish Christians in, in and around Rome. Not, neither the Roman government nor the, the Jewish religious authorities believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And so they start applying pressure to this, this tiny group of, of believers who believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they start... Uh, 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 turning the screws, if you will, and encouraging this, this small community to, to, to look at Jesus a little bit differently, to, to reconsider who he is. The temptation for these believers under pressure from Rome and, and ostracized from the, the religious community that they had grown up in was to compromise, to call Jesus great. You know, Jesus was really great, kind of like, like an angel but not the Messiah. Which is why we see this evening the, the writer of Hebrews making a, a comparison and a contrast between Christ and the angels. And we, we heard that uh, this is quite an important thing, didn't we? In, in our confession this evening, you know, that, that we shouldn't call things that, that aren't God, God. This argument matters. And we shouldn't call things, we shouldn't call the true God something that he's not. And so what I hope that we see this evening is that there's, there's one thing that is, is worth arguing for. And there's one thing that's worth holding fast to. That Christ is, is superior to absolutely everything, including the angels. And so three things for us to see tonight. First, we'll, we'll get to know the angels. Secondly, we'll see why Christ is superior. And third, we'll see what's really at stake in this argument. So first, let's get to know the angels. Angels are, are actually pretty mysterious creatures. But if you uh, went through the entirety of Scripture, you, you might be surprised by, by how often they appear. Some people obsess over them uh, in our day and age, and, and I think we, what, they, they see angels just about everywhere. You know, I've, I've talked to, to some Christians who are like, oh, this person, you know, I, I lost my person, they found it, and I think they must have been an angel. Uh, probably not. 
And actually what the, the author of Hebrews makes clear is that actually our, our obsession shouldn't be with, with looking around and finding the angels. Our, our obsession should be for Christ. But angels are on the, the one hand simply, simply servants. But on the other hand, they're uh, the ultimate servants because they're, they're the servants of, of the Lord God. They're not like you and I. And they, they aren't anything like uh, how they're often portrayed. When you look at, at artwork, for example, I, if you go to the, the galleries in central London and you look at some of the, the, the old Renaissance artwork, how are the angels portrayed? They're, they're often these, these chubby baby creatures uh, with wings, you know, and, and, and nice fat rolls. You could just go pinch their cheeks or their, their, their thighs, couldn't you? You know, we made them into these creatures of cuteness. One of our, our children was in a, a nativity play about a little, little angel called Whoops-a-Daisy Angel. A cute little angel who couldn't quite get every, anything right. But, but God loved her anyway. It was, she was her, her special cute little angel. So the question we should be asking ourselves is, why, why would the ancient Jewish Christians be considering putting Jesus on par with a, a chubby baby with wings? And the answer to that is simply because we've got our view and our understanding of angels completely wrong. Angels are, are quite honestly and frankly, some of the most uh, insane, uh, incomprehensible uh, creatures in all the universe. And we know that because pretty much any time they, they appear in, in Scripture, people think they're about to die. It's, it's like if you imagine your door getting... Uh, kicked in in the middle of the night by uh, uh, one of these SAS soldiers. And all of a sudden you've got a guy standing over your bed in the dark uh, holding a, an assault rifle. You just about feel like the people felt when, when an angel suddenly appeared to them. The biggest difference was that uh, the angels were, were usually appeared in bright light. They didn't need to wear all black like the SAS because they weren't worried about being seen. They didn't have to worry about sneaking up on you. If they appear, it's for a reason. And when they appear, the, the first words out of their mouths, uh, if you're on their good side, is, is fear not. And that's what you have to hope you hear if you ever meet an angel, fear not. In that sense, they're kind of like the, the person at your kid's school, you know, who calls you and the first words out of their mouth is, uh, everything's fine. You, know, you get a call from... It, I don't, most of you probably haven't had this experience, but you get a call from the school and everything's fine. Your kid's just you know, broken their arm or stabbed themselves in the eye with a pencil or shoved something up there. You know, everything's fine, though. It's fine. You know, most of the time, angels are invisible, though. This is where the, the mystery comes in. We might not be aware of them, but they are there. And they're working for the glory of God at all times. Angels are, are fairly regularly referred to and, and seen in Scripture. In fact, a, a person has to be permitted to, to see them. Like when Balaam was on his way to, to curse the, the children of Israel. And his donkey kept uh, seeing this, this angel in front of him uh, wielding a sword. And the donkey could see it. Uh, but not, not Balaam himself. And so the donkey keeps turning aside and Balaam keeps hitting it with a stick. And, and uh, finally, the, the donkey is, is permitted to speak and asks, why are, you, why are you beating me? And then Balaam is, is permitted to see the angel by the Lord God. And he understands why his donkey was behaving the way he was. Uh, angels serve 
different purposes uh, under their role as the servants of God. The name of uh, angel, in, both in, in Greek and in Hebrew, actually means messenger. And one of their primary functions was, was to be the messenger from God. We, we heard that tonight uh, as we read through uh, the, our, our Luke passage uh, earlier. We're told that uh, a host of angels were present with God when he uh, met with Moses to give him the law on Mount Sinai. We see angels sent to defend God's people, like in, in 2 Kings 19, when they strike down the Assyrian army. We see them surrounding the throne of God in heaven and, and worshiping him constantly in places like Isaiah 6 and, and Revelation. Angels serve many functions. And if you're wondering if they are still at work in our world today, then the answer must be absolutely yes, they are. We won't necessarily know where or how. Uh, we might not ever, you're, you're unlikely, I should say, to, to ever see one in, in your own life. But we believe that God is at work in our world, don't we? So we must expect that he is, is using his, his servants, the angels, for his purposes. That should actually comfort us as God's people. Because what we, what we see in Scripture is that the angels are sent by God to, to watch over and to protect his people. But they only act at his command and, and not at our whims. They're concerned with, with uh, tremendous spiritual, spiritual things, not, not every little uh, problem that occurs in our lives. They're there to serve God and first and foremost and to minister to the, the needs of his people. And we, we see that all the way at the end of our passage, don't we, in verse 14. So we have these incredible, incredibly powerful creatures, uh, and they're spoken of uh, positively throughout Scripture. They're holy beings who, who worship and serve uh, God alone at all times. So to be called an angel uh, certainly is not an insult, is it? It's actually quite a high compliment, unless the person being called an angel is actually the Christ. And that's the, that's the problem, that's the thrust of, of the writer's argument uh, this evening. This is what we see in our second point, why Christ is superior to the angels. And the whole, the whole point of this section of the, the letter is, is, is simple. Christ is, is superior even to these superior beings, the angels. The, the writer of the, the Hebrew says, don't even, don't even think about compromising on this. Don't even think about calling him an angel. Christ is superior to the, the most superior beings you can think of. Like if you were thinking of the, the greatest being possible, it would probably be an angel. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, and Christ is, is superior to them. That's absolutely incredible when you stop to think about it, isn't it? Perhaps you've taken that for granted. I don't, I don't reflect on angels all that much, I'll be honest with you. I know some people do, but, but this, this week as I, I've been reading through this argument, it's, it's actually quite incredible to think that Christ is superior to even the angels of heaven. Let's look at how the, the writer makes this argument. The, the gist of the argument is, if there's one main thread holding the, the whole thing together, is to simply look at what, what God the Father has said about, about Jesus Christ, his Son. And when you, it, when you look at that, he doesn't even compare, the, the angels don't even compare to him. Surely God's word is the final word in, in this argument. So what does he say? And, and, and this is where we get uh, a few subpoints along the way. And, and by the way, the writer of Hebrews uh, quotes a lot from the Old Testament. Uh, he does that throughout the, the book of Hebrews, which is, which is great. You can see how, how we should be using the scripture and, 
in, uh, in talking about God and, and making uh, our own cases for. And, and this is why we preach the Word of God, because we, we want to talk about the things that God has actually said. Uh, but I'm not going to give you every single reference. Uh, you can see them. They're, they're, uh, they should be down in, in the footnotes uh, of your Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll mention some of them, but, but you don't have to. I'm not going to tell you where each reference is. But let's look at these, these subpoints now, this argument that the writer of the Hebrews makes. First, he says Christ is superior in, in the very name or, or title that he's been given. This is in verses 4 and 5. What's the title that Christ has been given? Son. God the Father calls him son. And he calls him son not in the, 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 same, the exact same sense in which he calls you and I son or daughter. We're, we're sons and daughters in the, in the adopted sense. We enjoy, we enjoy that, that uh, status through Christ. But in the sense that, that Christ has been, been begotten by God the Father, he is, he is the, the Son of God. He's, he's the, the, the image of the Father. He, he bears the image of God in a way that you and I don't, and in a way the angels themselves don't. His substance is, is different from ours. It's, it's on, on equal terms with that of, of the Father. He's the same substance. Uh, in our modern terms, we might say he, he, he has the same DNA. I'm not sure that that really quite, quite is accurate or, or captures it. Uh, this is one of those, those ones we want to be careful how we say it, isn't it? Because this is, you get close to heresy pretty quick, but he's, he's fully man, certainly. But he's not like any other man. He's not like us. Because he's the full image of God. And Hebrews makes that very clear, doesn't it? The second quotation, uh, the little phrase that, that we see here is, and he shall be to me a son from, from 2 Samuel 7, 14. Uh, and that one is, is important because this is where God instituted what's called the Davidic covenant. Uh, this is when God promised to King David that his son would, uh, would build, build a dwelling, a, a temple for him. And that he would have a, a son who would, who would reign forever upon the throne of God's people. And the thing about it is, uh, King David's son Solomon uh, did build a temple, but it was a temporary temple, wasn't it? And he hasn't, they, they, his sons didn't reign forever. Most of, them, most of them made a mess of things. And so where, where do we see the son of David, the heir of David, uh, coming and, and reigning well it's 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 seen tonight wasn't it in, in Luke chapter 1 the promise that that the God pronounced to the Mary through the angel he's superior to angels because he is God himself being the very son of God begotten by him the second God commands the angels to worship Christ his son doesn't he verse 6 again we see an Old Testament citation that's uh Depending on your Bible, it'll either say Deuteronomy 32 or Psalm 97. They're not sure which one exactly it's referring to. But, but uh, where angels are spoken of, they're, they're spoken of as, as sons of God in those, those passages. But they're different from the son, aren't they? The one that's set apart. Again, he, he calls upon the angels to, to worship the son. We, we see the fulfillment of that in, in the nativity story, don't we? Later in Luke, we, we see the fulfillment of that. When the, when the, the shepherds are out in the field and... And the angels appear to, to announce the birth of, of Christ 
And what do the, the shepherds see? They see a multitude of, of the heavenly host, a multitude of angels worshiping and, and praising God. Jesus cannot be a mere angel because a mere angel is, is not the object of worship. Christ is the object of the, the worship of the angels. Now, now listen to this, because this is cool. You and I, we, we worship all kinds of things, don't we? We worship all kinds of rubbish. We, it, it's been said that, that uh, our hearts are idle factories. But the angels are, they're, they're righteous, aren't they? They're, they're holy. And so they can only worship the, the true God himself. And, and, and God commands them and they, they worship Jesus Christ as God. That's quite a powerful testimony to who Jesus Christ is, isn't it? He must be greater than even, even the angels if the angels worship Christ as God. And if the angels worship Christ as God, then it's safe to say that, that you, sh- you and I should as well, shouldn't we? Now third... God says Christ is, is sovereign. He's the king. Uh, he's sovereign in a, in a way the angels aren't. Uh, you can look at 7 and 8, and, and in a sense reiterated in verse 13, the angels are powerful, aren't they? He says they're, they're like the wind, or they're, they're like a flame of fire. But Jesus is seated on the eternal throne of heaven. The two don't really compare. He has authority to, to command the, the wind and the fire. He has the authority to command even the angels. He's, he's sovereign over them and over all creation. Jesus has, has been anointed the king beyond his companions, the angels. He sits at the right hand of the Father who, who sends out the armies of angels to, to make his enemies a footstool. Jesus is the sovereign. Fourth, Christ is, is the maker and creator of all things along with the, the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's He's a member of the eternal Godhead. The angels are eternal in that they, they go on forever, but, but like us, they had a beginning. Jesus was before the creation of, of the heavens and the earth. He was present and active in, in the creation. And there's not a single angel who can say that, even though they're, they're more ancient than we are. In other words, Jesus must be superior to the angels because, because actually he, he made them. Now that's quite a quite a lot, isn't it? Uh, this, in some ways, this this feels like a. This starts to feel a bit like a like like a a discussion or argument uh, in a pub, doesn't it? Uh, or one of those social media tournaments. Do you ever see those where where uh, people vote on on silly things that that they they put in competitive brackets? Maybe it's just me, but you have you know, uh, what's the best coffee? In, in the world, and, and you have on one side of the bracket espresso or latte or, or flat white. On the other side of the bracket, you have you know mocha or americano. And, and each day you vote on, you know they, they put up two, and you vote on which one, and you get to the final between americano and flat white. Feels a bit like that, doesn't it? Again, it could just be me. I, I don't know if any of you have any idea what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I think I've lost myself even. But, but, but uh, you know, you know that, that, that's kind of, it feels like that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing, isn't it? Like, let's compare Jesus to, to angels because we've, we've eliminated humans already. Bears are out. 
dinosaurs are out, even though they're all pretty incredible. And we get to this, what feels like the final, don't we? It's Jesus versus the angels. And it's not even close, is it? Jesus is clearly superior to the angels. Here's, here's the problem, though. Most of you here tonight are, are going, but I never, I never thought this was an issue. I'm not a Jewish Christian in first century Rome on the brink of persecution, and I've never actually been tempted to call Jesus an angel. Perhaps you think this is purely an academic uh, argument. Well, for you, I offer our third point this evening. What's, what's actually at stake? What's actually at stake? Maybe you've never heard Jesus called uh, an angel. But if Jesus is anything less than Christ himself, the very Son of God and the, the maker of all things, then the problem is we're, we're still under the law. Maybe you've never heard Jesus called an angel, but maybe you've, you've heard him called something else. Maybe you've been told he's, he's, a, he's a prophet. Maybe you've been told he's a wise teacher. Maybe you've been told he's a, a good moral example, but he's, he's not God. And if that's true, if any of those things are true, then we have not known the grace of God, and we're still under the law. That's the bottom line, really. Would you rather be under the law, or, or would you rather be under grace? Would you rather, when, when you, you read the law of God, go, uh, you know, this is, this is more than just a great guide for how we should live. This is, this is actually how we are made right with a holy God. Or would you rather say, you know what, in Christ Jesus, the law has been fulfilled, and the demands of the law have been met. And I'm no longer righteous because of anything I could possibly do. I'm righteous because Christ has made me righteous for the Lord God. If Christ is anything less than God, then you're still under the full requirements of the law. You still have to keep it perfectly. And if you don't believe me, then, then look at Judaism. Or look at Islam. Look at any, any other religion for that matter. Islam says he's, he's the greatest of prophets. I've talked to many Muslims who've, who've said that to me. Oh, you're, you're a pastor. Well, we, we think Jesus is great. Jesus is like the best prophet. Well, how are you made right with, with a holy God in Islam? Well, they have to keep the seven pillars of Islam and then hope for the best at death. They have to keep the law of their God perfectly. Every other religion that removes Christ as, as Savior is, is the same way. You know, Judaism is, is the same way. Hinduism, you know, you're trying to live as, as well as you can in order to get reincarnated as, as something better. You know, all the, the other corruptions and, and cults that, that have tried to spring out of Christianity, they say that you have to do certain things to be saved. It's only Christ Jesus who says, it is finished. It's only Christ Jesus of whom God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see why this was an issue worth arguing about and even worth, worth dying for. You see why this is the very first argument that the writer of Hebrews puts to, to this group of, of uh, young Christians on the, on the brink of, of persecution. Because if Jesus isn't, isn't the Christ, if he's not the anointed Messiah from God, then we are lost and we're broken and we are way, way behind and working for our salvation. And this is why these verses are such good news. 
Because in Christ you are under grace. In Christ you have the creator of the universe on your side. The one who is sovereign over even the angels. The one who is, is worshipped by a, a whole host of, of the angels themselves. And the superiority of Christ over the angels should actually call us to see our, our true condition. If an angel were to appear to us tonight, your, your best hope is that, is that he says, fear not. Because you, you'll be scared to death. You, you wouldn't be able to stand in the presence of an angel. Their, their holiness would, would, would terrify you. And we dare not think we, we can even earn our right to stand in the holiness of God the Father in our own strength if we can't stand in the presence of those servants. We need Jesus to be greater than the angels and have to made the payment for, for the sins we can never pay for if we, if we hope to stand before God. And the good news of, of Hebrews is, is that, that the, the writer tells us that's exactly what Christ has done. So don't, don't compromise it simply because the world around us puts us under severe pressure. There are a few things worth dying for. But this is one of those things. If Christ is who the Father says he is, then what do you need to fear from the powers of this world? Or even death? Or even your own sin? If you're in Christ, then the law and the guilt of the law cannot touch you. Because if you're in Christ, then, then even the angels of heaven who are at his command, who are there to serve Christ, Serve him by, by protecting you and I, those who are, in, are who are to inherit salvation. Let us pray.